Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Analyst Seth Jason, James Early, and Ron Gross. Guys, good to see you. Hey, hey you, Chris. Chris. We've got some delicious earnings from Krispy Kreme. We've got an influential investor calling for Microsoft CEO to step down. And we've got yet another sign that we might possibly, maybe, maybe be looking at another tech bubble. Plus, as always, we've got a few stocks on our radar. But we begin with a disappointing week for the big macro. America's economic growth in the first quarter was 1.8%. That was below expectations. Weekly jobless claims came in at 424,000. That was above expectations. Ron Gross, I'll pick on you first. What do these numbers say to you? Not strong. <laughs> growth is better than no growth. That, that's that's for sure. But um, the fact that growth is, is somewhat anemic um, is is concerning to me. And and for for many months, I've been um, pretty conservative here and concerned that once um, government stimulus is removed, uh, with unemployment remaining high, um, we're our economy is not going to really be able to be self sustaining. So we'll have to see what how the trend continues. Quarter by quarter, we'll be watching this. But I'm concerned. QE2 ends at the end of June, quantitative easing. The second one ends at the end of June, and we'll see see where we go from there. But there's not many more tricks the government has uh, to pull out of its its bag of tricks. Seth. Well, yeah, we're in a bit of a dangerous spot here because, as I've mentioned a few times on the show in the past few weeks, we have a lot of demagoguery out there among the politicians about how we're printing money and we're getting all this inflation. And yes, some commodities have spiked and that causes some uh, inflation in certain items and certain component prices, but we really don't have the risk of the systemic sort of inflation that would suggest we need to pull back on economic stimulus. And if people think uh, potential for inflation is bad, the, the deflation of an economy is a lot worse. James? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, one of the things that, that makes us charming, I think, as, as panelists is that we're, we're probably <laughs> not as confident sounding as, as most economists are talking heads. And, and in reality, nobody knows what, what's going to happen here. I mean, the thing that I do know is that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction in economics. So the private sector screwed up. The private sector has to pay some price. Now, we could let the private sector pay the full price or the government could step in as it's doing. But there will be some effect of this government stimulus whether that's inflation in five years or, 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 or not, I, I don't know. Um, I do agree with Seth that, that deflation is by far the bigger problem because nobody can do anything about that. But we can't sort of get out of everything. We can just sort of rearrange the pain. And I want to say that I'm charming for many, many more reasons <laughs> than just that. As we both know. Okay. Google is hoping that smartphones can replace wallets. This week, Google introduced technology that that enables a person to tap their phone screen to select a card, then tap the phone to a credit card reader in a store or restaurant. Google would make money by selling coupons and advertising. Seth, what do you think? Wow. The most amazing thing about this innovation is the way Google continually finds ways to innovate ideas that other people have already had, and (laughs) the press pretends that Google is doing something brand new. They've been paying for stuff this way in Japan for years now. They launched services like this. Orange has launched services like this in the UK, has failed in the past, is trying again. As you note, Google's approach is a little bit different. It's making the payment system free, but they're they're hoping to make their money back by, uh, I call it spying on people, but by, by knowing 
knowing exactly what you're buying and then sending you Groupon type coupons and then taking a cut of those sales, of those potential sales. There's a chicken and egg problem here, which is it requires a phone with one of these near field communications chips mm-hmm. and checkout registers that have them. And so I'm not so sure that's been the problem all along. And I'm not so sure it's a problem that Google can overcome. And I think this probably fails if the big banks uh, work more on uh, what we saw this week, which is an announcement that they're going forward with email and text uh, money transfers, which is also something that's been going on in third world countries for a long time. I think the the real takeaway here is that companies like Groupon, who who have a one-trick business model and don't have access to this ancillary information like Google or Facebook or others, they're dead meat. And if anyone can corner this market, it will be huge for them. Uh, yeah, Google's going to be testing this in a couple of markets uh, over the summer, uh, starting with San Francisco and New York. James, what do you think? Well, you know, as I understand it, says that this is limited to some particular model of Android phone that is so sparsely held it makes the Zune look like a popular item. Um, <laughs> for now. So, so for don't now, look like yeah. don't look for this anytime <laughs> soon. But but my bigger question is, what if you're on a date and you run out of batteries? I mean, you, you can't pay, right? I mean, it's just <laughs> no. If they, kind they, of have, embarrassing. They, they have the, I believe the chips are are sort of passively energized. At least I think they are. I, I don't know enough about the exact technology, but but it, my understanding of it, the way it used to be, is it works. It was it worked. The original versions of this worked like the timing chips in your shoe in a marathon or something. You go over the thing and it reads it. Adding a layer of intrigue to Google's announcement uh, was the announcement from eBay and its PayPal unit that they're suing Google. Um, uh, Why not? eBay and PayPal are claiming that Google poached two of eBay's senior executives uh, who then recruited other employees from eBay. The lawsuit alleges that Google used PayPal trade secrets to develop uh, this mobile patent technology. Um, uh, obviously, guys, uh, we are not lawyers. We don't know all the details here. They should, you, everyone but, but by all means, should be glad we're not lawyers, exactly. by the way. But uh, l- l- let's engage in some reckless speculation, shall let's we? Let's do that. It looks very bad on the surface. I, I, on the surface, Agreed. it kind of does. It, it looks yeah. kind of bad on the surface. It's it's Google, you know, their don't be evil model. I think that's kind of a joke. But I think you, you're going to see more of this going forward because the reality is Google is poaching employees from companies all over the place. Facebook is now doing, is known as the employee poacher right now. And when these people come with ideas that, that are going to compete, you're, you're going to see more of these lawsuits. So so we've got these various competitors um, who are, are all vying for our wallet. Um, so Bless it, their hearts. Bless their hearts, exactly. So if you had to bet on one entity um, to make this work. Are you betting on Google? Are you betting on eBay and PayPal? Or are you betting on the banks? Ron, what do you think? I think I'm betting on the banks, ultimately. I think Google might have the first mover advantage for a while, but then the banks probably move in at some point. James? I I agree with the banks. Yeah, Google, Google has a lot of power, but it might be its own undoing, too. I have to go with the banks unless unless it really morphs. And banks are, especially the larger banks in this country, are not great at creating simple customer uh, experiences. So if they screw that up, then, then a company like Google may have an open playing field. Microsoft was in the headlines this week, but not for anything the company actually did. Hedge fund manager David Einhorn said at an investment conference in New York City that Steve Ballmer should step down as CEO of Microsoft, saying, quote, his continued presence is the biggest overhang on Microsoft stock. James Early, two questions for you. One, who is David Einhorn? Two, is he right? 
David Einhorn, Chris, is a, a, a young-looking hedge fund manager who, who is- <laughs> Young-looking. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that was the first thing came <laughs> and to so mind. Handsome. <laughs> he so uh, His firm is Greenlight Capital, and it's, he's sort of a Warren Buffett meets activist type of, of investor, and he's, he's, been, he's been pretty accurate on a lot of things. Um, let, me, let me just back up. To its credit, Microsoft earns a ton of, uh, has a ton of cash and earns a ton of cash, and as a dividend investor, I become- almost uncomfortably excited when I see its financials. And, <laughs> well, that and makes me thing. uncomfortable but, as but, well. I'm going to move Ivan down here. To point, uh, you know, we are in a new era of tech, and, and Balmer might be a little bit stuck in the past. I mean, names like Skype, uh, uh, Zune, uh, Kin, I mean, these were things that, that sort of bombed as Microsoft attempted to chase growth. And if you're late to the party with an also-ran product, you got to be way better, not just comparable. So uh, the, the point being is I agree with Einhorn to the extent that, that Microsoft needs to just pull back and be what it is right now. This is a, a slower-growing tech company that's just making tons of cash. Just enjoy not, yourself for who you are. That's not what he said, though. He complained that they had missed out on the phones, that they had missed out on the tablets. He said that the effort in search was a sinkhole. Einhorn is so popular, especially among the value investors, and for being the guy who was shorting Lehman. Very smart guy. So I'm not going to try to argue with him. I have his notes on his 2006 pitch for Microsoft, where... If you read through them, you can find these on the internet. You find out that Microsoft did all the things he says in 2006 he wants them to do, and it still isn't good enough. The reason he's... Let, let me give you a, a few snippets of this. First of all, here's my stock idea. Microsoft is a rod! Exclamation <laughs> point. He says that even supermarkets trade higher than this. He goes on to talk about the money-losing businesses, which at the time was Xbox and some, uh, some of the MSN properties. And he says, these are big opportunities with continued growth. It'll overcome their fixed costs. He goes on to say that they have to try to compete in search because what if they actually can stem the bleeding? What Einhorn is doing right now, in my opinion, is he's a little crybaby because he got the valuation <laughs> wrong. Here's the problem. Microsoft has doubled its free cash flow from back then. It's increased operating income 60%. That's huge. What Einhorn got wrong is he expected people to pay 20 times earnings for Microsoft. If they did, this stock would be uh, roughly twice as expensive as it is right now. People are willing to pay 10 times earnings for Microsoft. For what reason, we don't know. But Einhorn, I think, is just trying to make excuses for his own bad investment decision. And I have two final words from which are Boo frickety who? Is that, <laughs> is that two words? Uh, it's, it's actually slightly more than that. Uh, Ron uh, Einhorn uh, obviously has a stake in this. Um, he's got about nine million shares of Microsoft stock. Yeah, he's he's got some skin in the game here, and it's to his benefit to to talk his book and to try to get that stock up. I agree with most of the things Seth said, actually. But just to take wow, the, really? To, yeah, every now and then. <laughs> just to take the other side, though, I will say that Microsoft's board actually does, to a certain extent, agree with Einhorn. And, and if r listeners will recall. Uh, Bomber had part of his bonus docked last year because he did fall short in things like mobile and coming up with new forms of computers. So there has been some, you know, monetary uh, slapdown uh, when it comes to his performance. When Bomber is no longer the CEO, do you think Microsoft looks to promote from within, or do you think they look outside the company? I think the smartest thing for Microsoft to do actually would be to to break the company into pieces in some ways. I think they would need to have some strong relationships, but eventually I think they're probably going to have to break apart the home entertainment and, and some of these other divisions. And um, that would have that would present some challenges because a lot of, uh, of the benefit of Microsoft is the way they can fit some of these pieces together. But it would also probably, or hopefully anyway, kind of jumpstart innovation at the individual units. 
Coming up, shares of Martha Stewart's company soared this week, and it had nothing to do with Oprah ending her TV show. We'll explain in a moment. This is Motley Fool Money. She's got one for the money, two for the show. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in the studio with Seth Jason, James Early, and Ron Gross. Shares of Martha Stewart Living Omni Media shot up more than 23% on Wednesday after the company announced it has hired an investment bank to explore a sale of the company. Uh, James, Martha Stewart is about to rejoin the board of directors after a five-year ban. How does she feel about this well, sale? Chris, that's sort of the, the critically important question, because she's trying to sell the company. It was once worth $2 billion, now a little over $200 million, more than that now since the announcement was made. But Martha controls over 90% of the voting power for this company. So I have to imagine that Martha is both the biggest attraction to a potential buyer, but also the biggest deterrent, because whatever she says goes, at least for now. Ron? Yeah, it's interesting to me. They, they held the CEO position open for her. There hasn't been a CEO for for maybe since 2008, if I remember, and they held it open for her for when she could once again rejoin, and she said, no, I think I'm going to pass <laughs> on that. I'm a little too busy you know, promoting and, and cookbooking and all those kinds of things. So uh, once we still, we're still left without a, a lead uh, at the helm of the company. How, what's this company worth? How, what do people see in this company? First of all, it's in a, kind of a dying business. It's magazine business. Second of all, how do you judge the long-term prospects when, when the only asset is this woman who's going to croak one of these days? Seriously. <laughs> Wow. wow, that's so kind of the harsh branded on home product. She's turning seventy. I, that's surprising. She's yeah. older than you'd think. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I really think this company has a twenty-year horizon tops, and then it's gone. Rough week for Barnes and Noble. The company introduced a new touchscreen version of its Nook e-reader that's smaller and cheaper than older versions of the Nook. Is that Nook e-reader? Is yeah. that what you said? Shortly, hey, a- come on. Shortly after that, Amazon unveiled a cheaper version of the Kindle. Uh, Seth. Can anything save Barnes & Noble? Talk about a company with a 10-year horizon, yeah. <laughs> maybe. I don't know what you can do. I was looking at the margins, and Barnes & Noble's margins have just continued to get worse and worse. Uh, the story is ebooks. They have no great leading position. I don't think anybody really needs the Nook. I don't think they need a touchscreen Nook because it's actually easier to use buttons to turn pages on an e-reader anyway. And... I think that you know they could probably survive with a tenth of the store selling only the kinds of books that people have to see to buy. But Amazon is selling more Kindle books than they are regular books. That's the way things are going. Well, it's nice that when you go to the back of the store to get your Starbucks cup of coffee, there's all those books that you can sit down and read <laughs> while you while you finish your latte. So you know, it's, I, you know, it's nice. I read that thirty something percent of of the uh, e-reading books are, are romance novels. That's really been the genre driving uh, that that. Get the heck away from my Kindle, you perv. (laughs) (laughs) It was another tough week for people who argue that we are not seeing another tech bubble. Yandex, the number one website in Russia, went public this week, and shares were up 40% on the opening day. Also this week, Zynga, the online game company behind Farmville, is reportedly gearing up for an IPO of its own. Ron Gross, what do you think? Tech bubble 2.0? Let's let's differentiate between a tech bubble and a social media bubble, because okay. I think we do have a social media bubble forming, um, which is interesting to me. What, what What's most interesting about it is that it's creating value elsewhere. So people want the Facebooks and the big you know, LinkedIn, hot IPOs, double my money real quick. And it's leaving companies like Microsoft, HP, Intel, Cisco, even Google trading at what people now considered to be value prices. Um, so money is moving, hot money is moving into these you know, social media areas, traditional big cap tech, 
uh, is getting hurt as a result, and there could be some opportunities yeah, there. It's kind of nuts. I mean, what is Zynga going to fetch? They've got a few games that are popular now, but they're you know they're equivalent of a 1980s Atari in terms of graphics <laughs> and sophistication. And it's a video game company for crying out loud. Those things always go on to bomb. But a company like Google or Microsoft, Microsoft's trading at ten times earnings. I think I know which side of that bet to take. Shares of Tiffany up this week as the company reported earnings up 26% and raised guidance for the year. James, how are they getting it done? Well, Chris, a lot of their stores are, well, actually, Asian Pacific revenues are up 37%, which to me is the big news. A quarter of Tiffany's stores are in Japan, which uh, sales there were up 7%, which is, which is really good. All the stores there have reopened now. So it's all surprising to me because Asians as a whole, these Asian nations, tend to be big savers. But when they do splurge, they splurge on these super high-end brands that, that even most Americans won't buy. So it's it's kind of intriguing. Like I wouldn't buy a Tiffany's product. My, my wife isn't listening, but I just <laughs> wouldn't pay that much money. Um, but, but they do over there. Shares of Krispy Kreme jumped 21% on Monday after the company reported its strongest quarterly profit in seven years. Same store sales up nearly 6%, the 10th consectative quarterly increase. Ron. Creeping its way back. Wow, back from the dead. It's not a fraud this time, right? Right. $3 billion (laughs) company down to a $500 million company. Had some SEC trouble, had some accounting trouble, didn't file its Qs, fighting its way back. But man, those donuts are tasty. (laughs) Exactly. same store sales are improving. They're they're slowly they're slowly making their way back, and you know, good for them. It's it's not the high flying stock it once was, but it shouldn't have been in the first place. Does this bode well for the uh, eventual Dunkin' Donuts IPO that I'm just I just can't wait for? It depends it, on yeah, what kind depends. of social networking uh, <laughs> add-on we've got yeah. with Dunkin' Donuts. Do you patronize Krispy Kreme yourself, Ron? I. Don't actually w- go into a Krispy Kreme. No, if you, you hand me one, I will. You wait outside. I will, and I will happily partake. Say, what? You have a guy who goes for you. You got a bag man or something. <laughs> and finally, this week, the Walt Disney Company has withdrawn its application to trademark the term Seal Team Six, the name of the elite Navy unit that took out Osama bin Laden. A Disney spokesman said this was done quote out of deference to the Navy. Uh, <laughs> apparently, there was no deference to the Navy uh, when they were actually the time, filing yeah. the first time around. Um, guys, clearly, um, uh, there's a hole to fill here for Disney uh, in terms of uh, a tacky trademark. So, if, if if Disney brings you in and says, I, "I need, you know, we need some advice. What's something we can trademark and go after that's maybe on the edge?" Ron Gross, what do you think? I know my daughter would love to walk into a Disney retail store and just purchase one of those Lindsay Lohan ankle bracelets. Sweet. <laughs> Nice, nice. Seth, I think you know if they want to try and trademark something that's obviously so public that it should not be trademarkable, they might as well go with you know BFF or something like that. Because not only is it is it best friends forever, it, yeah. is it very popular? Everybody knows what it is, but it's also passe, which is something I associate with Disney. OMG, Whoa, what a great wow. idea, Seth, Jason, James, <laughs> Early, Ron Gross, guys. We'll see you later in the show. Memorial Day weekend is the traditional start of the summer movie season. Coming up next, we've got Nell Minow to talk about the business of the film industry, as well as which movies you can't miss and a couple that you probably should. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Business Week has called her the queen of good corporate governance. Nell Minow is with Governance Metrics International, and when she is not handing out grades on corporate America, she's reviewing films as the movie mom. Nell, welcome back. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Always good to talk with you. Um, We will get to movies in a moment, but I want to start with some corporate governance. This week, the SEC approved a plan 
that is going to reward whistleblowers for exposing fraud. Uh, whistleblowers will be entitled to anywhere from 10 to 30 percent of the money that they help the SEC recoup. So potentially some big rewards. What did you think? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you were very much in favor of this. Uh, I am. I am much in favor. How's that? Not very much in favor. Yeah, I think it's a very good thing. Uh, talk about pay for performance. This is a system that has worked very, very well in terms of return on investment for the IRS, and I think it will work very well for the SEC uh, too. The problem is, of course, uh, the perverse incentives. And any time the government has tried to set up some kind of protection for whistleblowers, uh, it has turned out to be a double-edged sword. However, given that the SEC does not have the resources to do all of the investigations that it needs to, uh, essentially deputizing uh, corporate insiders, I think, is a very, very good way to go. If you think about some of the biggest corporate scandals that have been uncovered, very often there was somebody on the inside. You think about Archer Daniels Midlands, for example. And uh, so I think, uh, I think this is going to be a very good thing, but uh, obviously we're going to get some false positives and some abuse of the system as well. Well, and and you mentioned the limited resources of the SEC. Um, should that be a concern? Because if if the SEC isn't able to staff up and get the, the resources to staff up, couldn't this backfire if they're just deluged with uh, potential whistleblower opportunities? I think they'll be able to tell the difference between the people who are trying to get back at their boss and the people who've got some hard evidence. I think you can separate those out very quickly. And uh, so I, I don't think that that will be a big problem. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with Nell Minow from Governance Metrics International and also The Movie Mom. Uh, let's move over to the business of movie making. One of the big players in the movie industry nowadays is, of course, Netflix. Um, for the average movie studio, do you think they're seeing Netflix as a friend or a competitor? The smart movie studios are seeing them as the best friend they could ever have. Uh, you know, every single time there has been some new delivery system, the movie studios have taken much too long to understand that this is a way of expanding their audience, not cutting into it. Remember when television came out, uh, one of the things I really enjoy is watching some of the movies of the 1950s and their fruitless attempt to try to make television look bad. And uh, and when television started showing movies, they didn't realize what an incredible market that was going to be for them. When video machines came out, they tried to fight them. Uh, and uh, it, it's always very good news uh, because the question is, how many delivery systems are you going to have for the content? That always benefits you. When people want to watch movies on their phones. They want to watch movies on their tablets. They want to watch movies. You know, someday it's going to be on their watches and maybe on you know the inside of their eyeglasses. Uh, and uh, that's always going to be good news for the movie studios. And the sooner they recognize that, the better. Here's a question about the financing of movies because there was a report uh, that came out by Brand Channel said that Apple was the number one company last year in terms of product placement in movies. Mm -hmm. um, is that really the wave of the future, product placement in terms of financing for movies, or 
Or does it get to a point where it just undermines the quality of the film? I think it does get to that point where it undermines the quality of the film. It's one thing if you want to say something about your character, that this is a character who would use an Apple rather than a Mac, but it does get to be very intrusive. I really recommend to you the documentary by Morgan Spurlock, the Super Size Me guy, that he did on this subject. It's called Palm Wonderful Presents the greatest movie ever sold. He actually sold the naming rights and the title to Palm nice. for a million dollars. And it was completely financed through product placement. And so he, he, he takes you through that process. And it's absolutely fascinating. You don't realize how pervasive it is. You're listening to Botley Fool Money, talking with Nell Minow, corporate governance expert and film critic. Um, in addition to those two jobs, if that's not enough, you, you also do a fair amount of blogging. Uh, and you recently... Uh, wrote something about uh, a piece that was in The New Yorker regarding Pixar's success um, in terms of the way they do business. Um, could you share a couple of the, the business lessons for managers from that? Yeah, that's one of the things that fascinates me about Pixar. Pixar is the most successful movie studio ever and one of the most successful businesses ever. Just to give you an idea, there's only one other studio in history that has not had a single money loser that has batted a thousand. And that one had very, very thin margins. This is a movie studio where every one of their movies has made substantially over a hundred million dollars. Every one of their movies is in the top box office films of all time. And not only that, they really set the bar very hard, uh, very high for themselves, unlike, say, their current parent, Disney, which did very, very well with movies based on pre-sold characters. Everybody knows who Cinderella is. You're already interested in Cinderella and want to see the movie. Pixar really created their own world, their own characters. They, we had to fall in love with these people every time. And uh, so it's really interesting to see what it is that has made them different. Uh, one of the things that was in the article in The New, York, in New Yorker is that uh, he mentioned sort of casually that they were on their 310th filming of a particular scene, that on a good day they managed to produce two seconds of screen material. And it's that meticulous attention to detail and that understanding that it's the story that matters, that just because you know how to make things blow up in a cool way on screen, that's not enough to sustain a movie for more than a week in the theater, uh, that I think that that's very important. And another one is that they really, really like each other at Pixar, and I recommend that everybody take a look at the Pixar entry in that great series of It Gets Better uh, about uh, protecting bullied kids, and you just get such a sense of the affection that the people in that company have for each other, and that, of course, shows up in screen, because that's what they're able to convey between their characters, whether it's a little boy and a crabby old man or a cowboy and an astronaut. You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Nell Minow from Governance Metrics International and, of course, The Movie Mom. Uh, before we wrap up with Buy, Sell, or Hold, the Memorial Day weekend obviously kicks off the summer movie season. So, want to get your thoughts on on some uh, some films about the uh, involved in the summer movie season? Um, first, are there are there a couple? Of, you know, there are so many blockbusters or that are hyped. Are there a couple of movies this summer that you're particularly excited about? Yeah. Now, people who have no life have already counted up and discovered that 2011 is breaking the record for sequels. We have 27 sequels coming out this year. That's more then one every other week, uh, three just in the last two weeks uh, together. And some of them I'm certainly looking forward to. Obviously, I want to see the last one of the Harry Potter, uh, and that's going to be great. I'm looking forward to the big comic book movies. I think Captain America looks terrific. Green Lantern looks great. 
Uh, so those are wonderful. But I have to say, I'm especially intrigued by a couple of the smaller films that are coming out. One is called Crazy Stupid Love with Steve Carell and in his first real all-out comic performance, Ryan Gosling, who I think is one of the most talented actors working today. It's also got Emma Stone, who I think is going to be a big star. She is a big, big buy this year. She's not only going to be in that movie this summer, but also The Help. And I think between those two, uh, you're going to see her her rise very, very high in the uh, most marketable young actresses category. So I'm looking forward to Crazy Stupid Love. I'm looking forward especially to Larry Crown with Tom Hanks. Uh, One of my favorite movies the last 15 years was uh, the only movie that he's directed so far. Um, And this is now his second one, which he co-wrote with Nia Vardalos of My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and it co-stars Julia Roberts. So all of those elements together, you know, it's a real dream team. Yeah, it's it's pretty good when you're Tom Hanks, when you can co-write a movie, direct it, and then you just decide that your love interest in the movie is going to be Julia Roberts. (laughs) I think they liked working together in Charlie Wilson's War and the trailer just looks terrific. And now what about one, give me uh, a prediction for one bomb, and and, and, <laughs> I, and I'll just spot you up with one name, and that's the Smurfs. I just, I don't know. Gee, I, I hope so. I, that's, uh, yeah, I, I'm just not <laughs> buying the Smurfs. I, I hope so. It does, it does not look good, and I think maybe the zookeeper may not do very well. Last year at this time, when you and I spoke, uh, I spotted you up with uh, a, a competition between two sequels, and that was Iron Man 2 and Toy Story 3. And you said Toy Story 3 was going to be a bigger hit. You were absolutely right. So let me give you this, the same construct. All right. Pirates of the Caribbean 4 against Cars 2. Which one's going to be a bigger hit? Oh, I'm going to go with Cars 2. Uh, I, am, I think Cars 1 is not one of my favorites of the Pixar releases, but Cars 2 does look absolutely sensational. It's got a wonderful cast, including Michael Caine and Emily Mortimer. They have really, really worked hard on the characters, and uh, it looks sensational. You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Nell Minow. Uh, Nell, we're going to wrap up with Buy, Sell, or Hold. First up, uh, he's generated a lot of controversy in recent years and recently appeared in Jodie Foster's film The Beaver. Buy, Sell, or Hold, the future of Mel Gibson. I'm afraid he is a sell, uh, if he's not in the pink sheets already. Uh, I think that uh, I remember that I was at the gym and telling the ladies at the gym that I was going to go see that film that day and interview Jodie Foster, and every one of them said, I will never go to another Mel Gibson movie. So not good right now. Amazon now says it is selling more e-books than actual books. Buy, sell, or hold the Kindle. The Kindle is a strong buy. Uh, I think uh, it has definitely that first mover advantage. Uh, The Nook is a better machine, but the Kindle has more content by a factor of tens of thousands, and uh, it has just penetrated the market that I think it's here to stay. She is one of the biggest stars in the world, and she was the first person to amass more than 10 million followers on Twitter. Buy, sell, or hold Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga uh, is uh, a marketing genius. Everybody should take a look at at what she does. That new Chrome commercial makes me cry uh, that she's got uh, because of the way that she reaches out to her fans. They love her. She loves them. I think Lady Gaga is is terrific. This film just took top honors at the Cannes Film Festival. Buy, sell, or hold. Tree of Life. I'm afraid that's a sell. I have seen it. And uh, I think it is just too quirky and weird 
uh, to, <laughs> to make much money at the box office. I don't think they're gonna. The marketing people for Tree of Life are gonna want that quote for the poster. <laughs> well, this is a movie with Brad Pitt and Sean Penn. Sean Penn has barely a line of dialogue, uh, and uh, it has a dinosaur in it that's sort of random. I mean, an actual dinosaur. There's a dinosaur. Yes. They're two, actually two dinosaurs, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do they have any lines of dialogue? They have no lines of dialogue, which puts them on a par with Jessica Chastain, who's also in the movie and has really almost nothing to say in the movie, but is going to be a big star someday anyway. And finally, he made his first TV acting appearance in a decade on the season finale of The Office, by Seller Hold, the acting career of Warren Buffett. Oh, please, no. I don't want him to do anything but <laughs> Berkshire Hathaway. But he killed on that he show. He was great, He was he? absolutely sensational. His delivery was impeccable. He was better than Jim Carrey. He was better than Ricky Gervais. I nominated him for an Emmy uh, for that performance. I just fell on the floor. I didn't know he was going to be on. And he was, he nailed it. He nailed it. Nell Minow is with Governance Metrics International. She is the movie mom, and she's absolutely one of our favorites. Nell, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. Coming up, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. This is Motley Fool Money. Penny. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hale, and back in the studio with me are trio of senior analysts, Seth Jason, James Early, and Ron Gross. Guys, time once again for the stocks that are on our radar. And we're going to bring our man Steve Broido in from the other side of the glass to grill you individually with a question. Ron Gross, you're up first. Uh, I'm a big fan of a company called Lumber Liquidators, uh, ticker symbol LL. It's a stock we own in the Million Dollar Portfolio Service. They're a hardwood flooring company, about 240 stores in the U.S., a few in Canada. Um, really good return on capital, plenty of growth ahead of them. They could double their store count over time. Um, it looks really uh, inexpensive at current price, so uh, we like it very much. Steve, what do you think? Question about lumber liquidators? You bet. How does weakness in the housing market, uh, how might weakness affect lumber liquidators? Negatively, (laughs) quite frankly. (laughs) Um, Negative, uh, weak economy and weak housing market would have an effect. Um, People do undertake remodeling efforts um, sometimes rather than move in weak housing markets, but I I don't think we can fool ourselves. It would not be a good thing. And just to mix things up, Ron, uh, a question for Steve. It can be about anything. Hmm. He's become quite a celebrity, I think, ever since this show um, aired. And I think America wants to know, Steve. Boxers or briefs? As if you don't know. Boxer briefs. Boxer, oh, a it's little a, bit of both. It's the yeah, it's a winning combo. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> I happen to agree with that. The best of both worlds, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah, he, but he doesn't mean that that thing that's both in one. He means a pair of boxers <laughs> over a pair of briefs. Yeah. <laughs> Belts and suspenders. Sorry, ladies, I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> James Early, stock on your radar Chris, this week. I am going with Clorox, whose lung tissue destroying bleach products I frequently <laughs> use to clean my shower despite the two day cough afterwards. It just raised its dividend by 9%. It pays a 3.2% yield. It also makes Hidden Valley Ranch uh, salad dressing, the Burt's Bees products, Kingsford Charcoal, a bunch of other things. Carl Icahn, corporate raider, bought a little over 9% earlier this year, so people see that as a positive catalyst. Once again, I love that you've chosen a stock that seems to be completely at odds with your lifestyle. Uh, Steve, a question for James about Clorox. Absolutely. Uh, 
Do you feel like the move towards more envir environmentally friendly products might affect a company like Clorox that does rely so heavily on you know harsh chemicals? They, they are trying, actually. They have some green uh, products. They, they've sort of had some trouble getting those into Walmart, but, but it could actually help them because they already have the established relationships with the, the vendors. James, question for Steve? Steve, you were to ride a two-man luge with one of the following, Chris Hill, Seth Jason or Ron Gross, who do you pick? <laughs> and where do you sit? You're is, the back. Is this is this the Olympics? This could be anywhere. I like Steve, the, it should be me. I've actually luged before. I think I'm going to have to go with Seth because he's actually luged before. Yeah, but but Seth's also the Sweet. tallest of, of oh, the three people. That's true. That's less room for you. Yeah, it is less room for me. And would I, you rather lean on him or be leaned upon by the him? The whole situation is awkward, so <laughs> I think I just close my eyes the word, and for the best. The word luge is a little awkward. That's that's on a, I mean come on let's face it that's the best Olympic winter sport. In, in all seriousness, luging is really fun because of the danger factor. Because you're going so fast, and if and if you don't do it the way they tell you to, you crash and it hurts. So you better do it right. It sounds like luge is fun to watch, but I don't it's know. It's more fun to do. Right. I swear to God, uh, Seth Jason, your stock this week. Well, I'm going to go with Guess, which everybody has heard of, and it's a stock that hasn't gotten a lot of respect. It gets a lot of 80s jokes. Came out with earnings. Uh, Gee, I yeah, wonder why. This week, and they were much better than analysts expected. Uh, sales comp uh, store sales slightly down in the U.S., but the real story is that. Uh, just going gangbusters overseas. They have a ton of room to sell more product in Asia, but also in Europe, where the brand is actually very well known. So it's a fairly easy, or as they say, a short putt for them to continue with these big sales increases. And the ticker symbol? GES. Steve, a question about Guess? Sure. Which is more important, the Guess branded stores or uh, the fact that Guess products are sold in so many other retailers like Macy's and uh, Nordstrom, that kind of thing? Both are important. It's a, it's a two-piece strategy, and I think you can't have one without the other. They started out, of course, just with the wholesale sales and their products selling at department stores. Since they took over and did more of their guest-branded stores, it raises brand awareness a little bit more. And, of course, the, the picture is even a little bit different in Europe where they have licensed stores and they don't have the reliance on department stores that they do over here. But but they've pursued this kind of multi-channel strategy for a reason, and, and it works, and it gives them a diversified base. Seth, a question for Steve? Steve, uh, we've been talking about acid wash. How many pairs of acid wash were you rocking back in the day? You know, I never really got too heavily, and I, I distinctly remember one pair, and I remember my sister uh, and me trying to acid wash our own jeans in the sink with bleach, and it ended poorly. <laughs> did, it, did it end with holes with bleach burns? No, it just they just looked really ugly. How'd that go over with mom and dad? I I don't know. You know, it was we were young. It was fun. <laughs> did you ever have a denim vest? Just as a related question. <laughs> No, what do you mean A that But it sounds great. How about chaps? You <laughs> no any chaps. chaps? Okay. Not, not, but one day. Dare to dream. Final question on denim. Did you ever rock the denim suit, the jean jacket while wearing jeans? I don't think so, but it's oh, possible. Oh, come on. Who here did? Come on. I, I did. did. I, yeah. I, I, have that one. I might have. I don't know. I had know. the jean jacket. Oh, no, did you ever I did have the denim, the denim suit. My mom probably got me one when I was a kid. In the but, I, I'm not so, but it's like the inadvertent denim suit. Like you're wearing, a, oh. you're wearing jeans and a t-shirt, and yeah. then you throw you, your you, jean oh, jacket yeah. on. I had yeah. that Been and, there. and the mullet. The mullet, too? I had a mullet. Oh, yeah. No shirt underneath. Wow. Well, on that disturbing note, Seth Jason, James Early, Ron Gross, guys, thanks for being here. Thank thanks, you, Chris. Chris. Thanks to our special guest this week, Nell Minow, for commentary and analysis each day throughout the week. Check out the Motley Fool's website, fool.com. Our engineer is Steve Roido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.